case file number 7.7. Dorking, dorking everywhere. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Agent Crenshaw. Still working on this Gibson thing. No, Chief. You gotta give me more time. Have you even listened to the recordings? It's like an encyclopedia of this hacker stuff. One of them just keeps going on and on about everything that ever went wrong on the internet. No. Nobody knows this kind of crap. He's obviously up to no good. Yeah, the one called Hackalope. No. How is it not illegal? The information is dangerous. And and the other one. The other one. Ymir. He's always going on about everything the CIA and FBI did wrong. All the wiretap stuff, all the crazy projects. How does he know? We already know he's infiltrated NASA, and I am this close to catching him skipping leg day. Now just ask yourself, Chief, what would J. Edgar Hoover do? Come, Chief, all I need is more time. Sooner or later they're going to slip up and I will catch them. Hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. Hey, man. Hmm? You know how we talked about like scanning the internet? Uh, yes. And uh, Shodan, which yep. does some scanning for you, but like just tells you what ports are open and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like does some banner grabbing. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if an attacker could scan every single website? And then have a searchable index of all the vulnerable apps and interesting files. Hell yeah. Well, it turns out Google does that. And I don't mean <laughs> that that's a Google ser- service. I mean mm-hmm. that that's a thing that hackers have managed to leverage Google to do. <laughs> now, this has been a little bit of a back and forth. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna talk and mm-hmm. we're gonna go through the like the whole history of it. Okay. And we start back in 2002 when a hacker named Johnny Long, and he's a bit of a name. He's the guy behind uh, iHack Charities. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in that old school period, it's hard. I'm old enough where we're calling it an old school period hurts a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of old school internet hackery back in 2002, uh, that mm. early aughts time. And he started collecting a set of go- interesting Google searches called Google Dorks. Mm. Now, a Google dork is an interesting search, like for Word and Excel documents, for website configuration and environment variable files, Mm -hmm. indicators of known vulnerabilities by names or file or or strings or known software package inversions that are are vulnerable. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, And even discovering basically API. API variables and stuff like that that are in links, things like that have been kind of shown. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I, yeah, I, I use something. Or I yeah. use this basically for like uh, books uh, for college. Yes. Mm. Well, I mean, I know that you've you've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. I figured we talk a little bit about that when we get towards the end, and we could talk over some of the most commonly useful search parameters used in Google Dark. Sounds good. Anyway, so Johnny Long starts collecting the stories, talking about it back in two thousand two, and then the first like tool for it is a tool by a company called Boundstone, which you may not have heard of, but they were really big in the early vulnerability assessment stuff. Mm. You know what? I forgot to check to see if they're still around, but I remember 
roughly in this period, they were pretty big because they really had one of the best like vulnerability assessment tools out there. You said you said Foundstone. Yeah, I think they might have been eaten by somebody. I, I'll admit I don't remember. It may very well be they were yeah a substantial player. I just I've heard their mm-hmm. name a lot less often recently, so I I'll, I'll admit, and I hope I, I'm not malign. I'm not uh, slandering them at this point. But I remember being impressed by their service, which did a much better job than the other vulnerability scanners at the time in helping you like with remediation reports and kind of pushing down to the administrator level, the remediation reports and the ability to rescan to make sure the vulnerability was remediated and stuff like that. I, I was mm-hmm. very impressed by that at the time because I thought they did a better job at it than than anybody else that we had looked at. But they released a, a tool called Site Digger back in 2004, which mm-hmm. was kind of the first tool that gave you an interface for running these interesting searches, maybe against your domain or set of domains, mm-hmm. to see if you could see find the things that hackers might before they did. So the idea of using it defensively actually started pretty early on. Oh, really? Because 2002, it starts. 2004, we have a tool that lets you operationalize trying to do it defensively. Mm -hmm. And also in 2004, Johnny Long uh, renamed the Google Dorks database, the GHDB, the Google Hacks database, Mm -hmm. uh, promising greater integration with other tools. And it got a, a chunk of media attention at that point in time and was the cool thing for, for, for people to tool around with for a little bit. In fact, Johnny Long ended up publishing two different books uh, and kind of in this time period, or well, a book and then an update to the same book called Google Hacks. Right, right. Yeah. Um, J- Johnny Long, the name just it sounds like, like a cowboy name. Like, yeah, he is. Every time I've seen him on stage and I've mm-hmm. you know, met him briefly at the iHack Charities booth at a couple of conventions. Mm-hmm. Strikes me as very much your almost your movie archetype, uh, fuck the man hacker. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's just my impression of him, but he was very much um he was very much going his own way. Like he went to Africa to bring technology to the masses and bring back uh tribal artwork and stuff like that back to sell to fund the charity and stuff like that. And that's how the whole iHack Charities worked, at least the times that I talked to folks about it. Oh, okay. Uh, I bought some stuff. Like, I I can't say that I ever got involved with them. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that much later than that. In 2005, Google started, had released the Google Hack Honeypot, which was an attempt to identify people trying to use Google searches for finding targets for you know, for malicious purposes, mm, okay, or for information disclo- uh, disclosure kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're only talking about three years after. Actually, it it, it was actually went from like December in two thousand two to February two thousand five right. that Google started putting in place defenses to limit uh, the exposure of of using these techniques. Mm-hmm. And uh, two thousand six. H.D. Moore, one of the two guys, and I forget the other guy's name, and I apologize, but uh, he uh, was one of the authors of Metasploit. Oh, okay, cool. And so he released uh, MW Search, which was malware search, which basically applied mm. antivirus type tech 
you know, signature techniques to mm -hmm. binaries on the internet that have been indexed on the internet. Ah. Which was, I thought, an interesting thing. It's kind yeah, of, I have it cool. in my notes as like AV or simple Yara against Google. <laughs> <laughs> but actually the thing that, I, that the, the, the other thing that's in my notes right now is like, well, so Google has does a pretty good job of limiting at least how hard you can go at it if not the things that they disclose in the search at this point with Google Hackery, they have direct access to the index. Now, I'm not saying Google does this. Right. But am I so sure about Yandex? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm just saying that, that if you're somebody that creates the index, you have the power to do searches of data that isn't necessarily available to anybody that doesn't crawl the entire internet too. Right, yeah. So if you have that information advantage, can you use that to do basically the same tricks except on data that not everybody else has access to? Yeah. So like that information advantage can mean superpowered hackery potentially right yeah as i was typing this out i i, I put that in my notes it's like wait a minute what if <laughs> google decided to be evil right yeah they've never done that before see previous episode google being evil <laughs> <laughs> no it, gets, it goes against their their motto so a lot of this stuff was enabled because google had been giving out api keys to be able to run searches programmatically uh, these were SOAP API keys, uh, which is which stands for Simple Object Access Protocol. W the Wikipedia says that's a backronym. I didn't research to see if that was true or not. Um, mm, okay, but I thought it was interesting that it was a backronym. Um, right. But this is but SOAP was kind of pre-REST API. It did rusty rusty stuff, although it my memory is that it that the data was in XML rather than JSON. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember using like a few things of soap like back in the day. Which is fine, but like one of the things you'll run into is XML schema, the standard and the way that you can manipulate the schema, it can be really hard to parse. If people make different, if the guy who wrote the parser and the guy who created the data made different decisions on, on conventions, Mm -hmm. You can kind you can break parsers. Uh, it can be really difficult to kind of arbitrarily parse XML and JSON. JSON has some downsides. It's harder to encapsulate URL and binary information, for example, mm -hmm. like HTML and binary information. I mean, you can, but it's it, it takes a little bit more work. But it's much more strict in how you parse it, much more universal in how you parse it. So that's one of the big advantages of going to REST was just changing the format that the data went in. Mm, okay. That's very weeny. I've had a long day. <laughs> so I, I'm, I, may be, I may be more pedantic and weeny than usual. Mm. But they stopped giving out those keys in mm. 2006. And Bing, at the same time, disabled certain search types in URL. Like, so we're going to talk about this later. But a big part of this, a big part of like real Google Kung Fu, as you know, is it's not just the strings you put in. To the search term, but you can have commands uh, that say only search this stuff. My personal favorite is site colon, and then you give a domain or a website, and mm -hmm. your entire search would be in there. And that used to be kind of the only way to get useful answers out of Cisco's site because <laughs> their internal search, 
their internal search mechanism didn't work very well. Oh yeah, it's the same way, same way with like VMware, like searching through all the KDs. You're like, oh my god, this is such a mess. Yeah, it's just like maybe I'll just ask the Google what's there in that site. But there's stuff like in text, which is can be helpful yeah. uh, to avoid like meta tag swamping and stuff like that. In, in text is very helpful too, just because sometimes when you just do a basic. I want to search these terms and even mm-hmm. include them in quotes. Google would just be like this website and you look at it, you're like nowhere on this website does it mention yeah. what I wanted. Like what the hell? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so at this point they disabled in URL link and linked and link domain tags. Mm-hmm. And I and I didn't really look up how the what those did because it was all historical. Right. But the, the point being that in order to constrain search hacking, they disabled certain search parameters that they were already gathering information on, mm-hmm. but realized that they used that they were used for badness. Right. Yeah. And this is really the beginning of the dark age of Google hackery, uh, of Google dorking or search dorking. Mm-hmm. By 2009, Google completely shut down, like in September 2009, they completely shut down the Google SOAP API. So that basically no longer worked. Mm. They had, uh, around that time, replaced it with a REST API that okay. was more constrained and kind of, and uh, my, my, under, my impression was that they at least somewhat armored it against search, uh, against Google dorking, mm-hmm. or at least the techniques that were available at the time. Right. So, at this point, at about 2010 is kind of where Google dorking reemerged. That you had that three or four year dark age where activity on the Google hacking database kind of stopped or, or went down to a trickle. Mm-hmm. A lot of the tools slowly stopped working uh, as support for them kind of died off. Right. Uh, as in like the API keys no longer worked and stuff like that. Um, or the functions that they were searching against didn't work anymore. So... The reemergence happened in Black Hat 2010, where the present presentation Lord of the Bing <laughs> uh, was put on by uh, Fran Brown and uh, and Rob Reagan of then uh, Stash and Lou, but they rebranded, they renamed themselves to Bishop Fox in 2013. Mm, okay. So this is Bishop Fox, and frankly, a big part of at least the the, the last section came from the pretty detailed timeline that they put together of Google search hackery. Hmm. But they presented a bunch of research on this to kind of revitalize it. And they introduced a tool called search diggity. And it was a search interface that was a dorking tool that lets you search both Bing and Google, use both Bing and Google. Hmm. Okay. There are some details on they were using the REST API for Google. They were using the SOAP API for Bing mm-hmm. because of technical reasons. But they were they were basically the first ones to really work on Bing. So they created the Bing hacking database, uh, and they translated this, this, uh, a bunch of the stuff from the Google hacking database into Bing ease because some of the tags were a little bit different. Mm-hmm. There's like in URL instead of in linkers. I didn't take thorough, thorough notes right, right, yeah, yeah. of the talk. But um, one of the interesting things that they talked about was uh, they believe that they found in their research for this that an attacker 
who was able to get a vulnerability out to more than 7,000 sites. The brackets were 7,000 to like 14,000 sites. Okay. Of a new flash vulnerability basically instantly. Really? And based on the research they did, what they believe happened was that the attacker had identified a large number of, of, of sites that were relatively high, high traffic, because Wall Street Journal was one of them, mm. that were vulnerable to cross-site scripting. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they had a, flat, a new flash vulnerability that allowed for remote code execution, they packaged that up and... Um, and did a cross-site scripting injection on all of those sites, basically all at once, to send them to their drive to their uh, dropper site. Okay. This wasn't oh, I've got a cross-site scripting vulnerability. I'm just going to mine it out. This was waiting for an opportunity to be mm -hmm. able to do a widespread attack by waiting for go see our Flash episode an inevitable vulnerability in Flash. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That is, in a lot of ways, a dark, a a black hat SEO technique mm -hmm. of being able to like cross site script in content you want. If you were to do it for just SEO, you can just inject in a bunch of um, a bunch of links and stuff right. as a link farm kind of thing. But they started to open the uh, the the door for modern Google dorking. Mm -hmm. Search dignity is still available, but but. It's a commercial product. Okay. I was going through GitHub and looking at a, at, at a bunch of at a bunch of things. People have made a bunch of tools for doing Google dorking. It looks like the two biggest ones that are kind of the current coolness are one called AMAS, A-M-A-S-S, -S, um, which allows you to kind of drill into a subdomain. And I believe the other one was a tone. I was able to find AMAS. It's made by OWASP, so that's that's cool. Yeah. Um, and OWASP even like they have on their website they have alternatives listed. Um, I found Snoint and like Sublister. A few others that have like no no upvotes. Yeah. And then there's like BitNinja secure uh, server security, but it looks like it's a paid uh, system. Yeah, I'm killing myself. I'm killing myself because I was I was doing research on my laptop and now i'm on my, my oh, I, system uh, I hate and that. i'm like oh no yeah i, I never I like google like share amongst anything yeah. either so yeah i hate that yeah i will i'll put it in the show notes um because mm. i definitely have some of this stuff i was i was actually um was watching a truck stream of some a couple of demonstrations and i saw this is as as the uh as the techniques being used but so these are command line tools, which are really good for doing a search and getting a bunch of results. So you can run um, some automation over the results, mm -hmm. but you have to kind of work back and forth with the Atom tool. And I'm, I'll have to find it again. Right. What it did was basically let you look at a lot of the visually look at a lot of sites pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Whereas AMAS did kind of a bulk scan and that helps you narrow down what you're trying to hit. Cause the, the, the folks that I saw demonstrating are, are working back and forth between Google dorking into the normal Google search page and then taking that and using that to inform the searches that they were using for AMAS and then using AMAS to feed kind of their visual inspection side of that. Oh, so okay. I think that we're at this at the point based on all the stuff that I was looking at for like current Google dorking stuff that 
Google is currently pretty sensitive to, or all the search engines are pretty sensitive to flooding the zone, rate limiting the searches that you're doing. And because of that, you kind of have to, you're not necessarily doing low and slow type stuff. You're trying to come up with good searches. Right, right. And you're doing a lot of that manually and iterating manually because just kind of having a fuzzer go at it is not really helpful. <laughs> yeah. um, you're, you're like you'll get yourself blacklisted and then what are you going to do although i do think it might be interesting if you know you're google or open ai or whatever or if you're microsoft and open ai mm -hmm. to uh going back to what we were saying earlier to basically have your your ai linguistic neural network do your google dorking dorking iteration for you Right, right, yeah. Yeah, it's fuzzing by AI. We haven't used the term fuzzing much, have we? So I'll probably, I'll, I, I will I will briefly go into that. Yeah, no, I don't. Do you know what fuzzing, uh, the term fuzzing means? Uh, I've always just interpreted it as yeah, just generating noise to see what happens. Yeah, well, you're generating noise, but ideally you're generating specific noise that is likely to generate an output instead of, instead of looking for every number from one to one million, Mm -hmm. You might go one, zero, negative one, and then just at like the major bit boundaries, mm, okay. like 65,000, like one more than that to see if you could overflow the integer buffer. Right. That makes sense. Um, rather than doing every single one, because that takes a lot longer. <laughs> so by the same token, you're not trying to iterate through every possible combination of letters or even every word in the dictionary you want to choose better search terms because mm -hmm. even if you have kind of unlimited access to the index, you don't have unlimited access to time. Yeah, right. Google dorking is a really important tool right now. Um, a lot of the demonstrations I were seeing were specifically about blue teaming for information leakage, mm -hmm. file types, and the red team bug bounty stuff. Right. Like it's, this isn't my wheelhouse and, it, and it's not really yours, although you've done a little bit more study on this kind of thing, but this is a really good way to get your first pass at what do I want to start trying to do vulnerability research on? Mm -hmm. Am I looking for all PHP files? Am I looking for JavaScript files or like ASP files that I can start breaking down and seeing what parameters I can start messing with? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like, this is kind of what modern reconnaissance is. I, I would even say this is kind of, I, I, I see us at a transition, especially as more stuff is kind of served from the cloud and stuff, moving from Shodan, what ports are open to what application hooks are open, which is mm -hmm. you find through search dorking. Right, yeah, yeah. And I'll kind of close out, and I believe the OWASP stuff guys have a pretty good uh, dorking cheat sheet, but that's not the one I have open right now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have a more general list of, of kind of search operators and stuff open. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's a one I, I missed a line in, uh, talking about um, some of the new technique stuff from Search Diggity. One of the things that they were talking about doing that very few, that folks before that hadn't at least hadn't talked about is, and this will be the first keyword term we talk about, is um, there is a keyword called cache. So they were actually searching previous versions of the page. Mm, okay. So sometimes, like if there was a SQL error, 
that was a result of SQL and uh, SQL injection or or kind of a mistaken SQL injection kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You could find the error in the cache even if they turned off the error but didn't correct the SQL injection, and you could, so you could do blind SQL injection to the same endpoint. Okay. So like they were able to do some information discovery by including searches of the cache rather than just the live search index. Mm-hmm. And the next one we'll talk about uh, is the one that you probably used that you talked about using when you were trying to uh, find another source for your uh, textbooks, right? Uh, uh, which is uh, the file type or yep, file the type extension. For, yep, exactly. Um, and even coupling that with the um, actually open cheat sheet too, so I could reference it. Uh, like uh, <laughs> discover, okay, I want file type like PDF and like the site to be an FTP uh, server. Mm-hmm. You know, just string those two together because very oftentimes, like especially when it comes to academia, professors would just have FTP sites open for the class and just a bunch of material just listed on there. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, you could just directory traversal along the way. Yeah, that's all all kinds of fun. Um, mm-hmm. There are the or the and operators. There's the one that I end up using a lot for research, which is the minus operator. If you have a keyword that you want to remove from your search results. Yeah, that's that's a really good one. And I'm sure like a lot of our listeners, all 10 of them. Dozens. There are dozens of them. They're, they're familiar, you know, and just like the plus yeah. sign or like putting yeah. things in quotes so you can search. Parentheses, parentheses, ors, mm-hmm. and ands. Standard yep. Boolean logic does apply. Yep. yep. Um, and, and that's useful, especially when you can chain that together with a lot of these like specific search terms. Yes. Yeah. Things. So you have like title, in title, all in title. So stuff in the title of the web page, mm-hmm. you can have in URL, all all in URL, text, all in text. You could do location-specific searches using the lock and location. Site is best, but there's the at operator, and you can say like at Twitter, and it'll try and let you search basically everything Twitter-related based on Google's estimation. I, I didn't know this was a thing, but like as I'm looking at the cheat sheet, there's image size. Uh, which is like really helpful with like if you're just looking for like a wallpaper and you're like yeah. I want it to be this specific size. Um, that's that's cool. Yeah. So I used to I used to look for wallpaper at Four Walled every once in a while, and that's not mm-hmm. there anymore. Maybe I maybe I maybe I just need to play around with some Google searching around <laughs> that to see if I can uh, figure it out. Although you may be at least as well served by just giving prompts and resolutions to uh, to the right AI at this point. Honestly, yeah. The last Black Hat talk I was at that was talking about AI stuff mm. was creepy. <laughs> oh yeah. The presenter was was the was the principal scientist at Sophos who just moved to Facebook, and I forget his name unfortunately, but he was talking about and kind of helped frame my current understanding of AI that nobody came up with anything like super new in AI recently. The biggest breakthrough, like, and they, I'm not saying that there weren't any advancements, but like the biggest breakthrough, the sea change breakthrough that changed the, what kind of what we expect from AI relatively recently, last couple of years was just by throwing 10 times the amount of hardware at it. Yeah, that makes sense. Or 10 or a hundred times. Like they basically figured out that by making the neural networks much bigger without Mm -hmm. really changing much else, they got a lot better, like much better than than they should have based on kind of linear scaling. Right, yeah. Which is kind of one of the tricky things about AI, although I'm 
kind of getting way off topic here, which is that <laughs> you you have to have in order to have good AI, you have to have a lot of infrastructure. It's not I have a magic box. It's I have a very large magic box. Yeah, the images they create are very cool. I think my favorite one was that when you zoomed in really uh, down to the level, uh, the person's face had hands for the eyelashes. Like zoomed out looked amazing. You zoom in and you're like, wait a second, something's wrong here. I mean, there's Uncanny Valley, and then there's like HR Geiger Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah, that is very Geiger. Maybe that's not exactly Geiger, but it's it, it's definitely very creepy. <laughs> so, at the very least, I encourage people to look at the um, at some Google dorking terms. We'll put there's like a million Google dorking cheat sheets out there, and I perused several of them, mm-hmm. and uh, I feel like I'm gonna end up. Uh, uh, looking through them a little bit more and finding kind of the best one and then linking that one because right. everybody and their mother seems to have, well, maybe not everybody and their mother, but there's a lot of, you know, Google dorking cheat sheets on GitHub that are probably people's personal Google dorking, dorking cheat sheets and a bunch yeah. of other places have them. And it's like, it's all over the place. And there's there's um, tools too. Like I just stumbled upon a tool where like you can literally just type in, you know, kind of like just a full string of like what you're looking for and it'll it'll form a, a google dork out of it for you to like simplify yeah actually i think that might have been the one that i was looking at on my laptop that i tried to find again mm-hmm. <laughs> i saw that particular box on the other one so i feel like it went a little like that i kind of didn't do as good a job at the end here as i as i had hoped because it's it's a really cool topic but i don't know that it's going to be worth another episode unless unless i find something really cool although if I do do a follow-up, the right follow-up might very well be about uh, Black Hat SEO. Yes. The yep. other side of it. Google dorking is, and Google foo is searching, and SEO and Black SEO is 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 the other side of that coin. Yeah. And like you said, too, this is just one aspect of all this stuff, is like searching through all this crap, getting a bunch of data. And then, mm-hmm. like, how do you visualize that? How do you, like, no one's looking at 10,000 lines of results mm-hmm. and pulling anything meaningful from that. But when you can like visualize it and throw it into a bunch of different tools and let them all kind of work for you and lay it out, then yeah. you start getting into like really cool stuff. Yes, but it helps you at least find your toehold. Yes, if you're targeting it, and it informs you about where you're where the weird parts of your system are when you're on the blue side, like we are. Exactly. Like I think that's the thing that escapes a lot of times is these. Tools aren't just for red teaming um, and, mm. you know, like searching for things that you can hack and stuff. You use these as blue team to see mm. what you've missed, you know, much like you use a, like a Nessus vulnerability scanner. You can um, crawl your active domain uh, directory domain. Um, you can use like Mimikatz on like, you know, your test environment to see, mm-hmm. hey, did I, did I miss something here that I can lock down better? Yeah, uh, there's a tool called Bloodhound, which mm, yes, I really yeah. want to do a talk about. Uh, oh, I really want to do an episode about uh, once we get to do it where I work. So I have like some real hands on with it, which right, is right. exactly that kind of thing. It's like, how do you get to essentially root level access, admin level access? Yeah. And it maps all the paths. And like this is one of those differences between red and blue team. Red team has to figure out a way in. Blue team has to figure out how to protect you against always in. Mm-hmm. So it may be the same technique, but you have to figure out how to uh, how to use it comprehensively. Yeah. Although you generally, because you're on the defensive side, have more information. Yep, yep, exactly. Find out about new episodes at r slash hacking the Gibson on Reddit and support the podcast by contributing at the Wikimedia Foundation or Electronic Frontier Foundation.